Angeles, great to see you. Y'all doing well? Awesome. Well, let me welcome you again to Cross Point. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm the guy that typically gets the joy and privilege of preaching most Sundays out of the year. And so I just want to say again, if you're a guest in the house, we are honored that you have joined us for Easter weekend. And more than anything, we've been praying that you would show up today and really be encouraged and, and leave hopeful by all that you experience concerning Jesus. So with that said, let's grab our Bibles if we have them. We're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, everything that we're going to read will be up on the screens. And then also I'd say if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So before you leave today, just stop by our connection desk out in the lobby, ask for a Bible, and that'll be our gift to you before you leave, all right? But John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, most of you probably don't know this about me, even, of those, or even those of you who know me well, but I am extremely claustrophobic. Anybody out there identify with that? Listen, it's really bad for me, and as I think back over the course of my life, I can remember distinct experiences that helped me realize this. One of those experiences took place the summer after I graduated from high school. I had the chance to travel to Israel with a group from my church. And while we were there, we visited this place called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's basically an underground waterway built by one of Judah's most famous kings, King Hezekiah. And today you can walk that tunnel. It's about a mile long. There's still water inside of it. It comes up to about chest deep in some places. And you have to carry a candle to see your way through. And so I'll never forget standing at the opening of this tunnel, which is basically a hole in the ground, and I'm watching different members of our team literally disappear into the earth. And when it was my turn to go, I stepped up to this hole, and I just decided on the spot, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm just not. And, and the people that were with me said, James, you have to do this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I said, I don't care what kind of opportunity it is. Like, why would I want to squeeze my body through that hole in the ground when there is a perfectly fine, open, spacious, air-conditioned bus that I can wait in? And, and so if y'all need me, that's where I'll be. And I waited it out in the bus by myself. But, but I'm like some of you. Even the thought of being stuck in a restricted, confined space where I feel like I cannot move, it, it makes me feel like I can't breathe. Uh, my heart starts racing, my anxiety starts rising, my palms get a little sweaty, and, and here's what I bet. I bet some of you walked in the room today, and life has you feeling that way. Like you're facing something right now that has you feeling stuck, bound, confined, restricted. That thing, it is crippling your peace, it's robbing you of joy, it's causing you to question your purpose. That thing has left you feeling helpless and hopeless. And the thing that makes it even worse is the fact that you know you can't do anything to change it. Listen, if I'm preaching to anybody already this morning, here's what I want to say to you. Regardless of whatever it is that's going on in your life, there's good news. And the good news is because of what we've shown up to celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope and freedom to be found. Amen? And look, I want to prove it to you from a powerful story found in John's gospel. So if your Bibles are open and you're there, we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 1 of chapter 11. Here's what it says. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said... This illness does not lead to death, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now we'll stop there and talk. Uh, in these first six verses, John, who's the writer, tells us that one of Jesus' closest friends is sick. His name is Lazarus. And he wasn't just kind of sick. He was the kind of sick that kills you. And so his sisters, Mary and Martha, send this messenger to inform Jesus of what's happening. And, and I find it really interesting. This messenger doesn't ask Jesus to do anything. He doesn't say, Jesus, you got to come with me. you got to uh, do something to help this family. He basically just says, hey, your boy, your friend, he's really bad off. Now, if we hadn't just read those verses, we might expect Jesus to say something to that messenger like this. You know, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This is happening. This is awful. Why don't you run back as fast as you can? You tell Mary and Martha, I'm praying for them and I'm on my way to help. But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, he says back to the messenger, it's all good. This sickness doesn't lead to death. So in other words, he's saying the purpose of this sickness is not to kill Lazarus, it's to glorify God. Lazarus is sick right now so that people will see who God is and what he's capable of in the lives of those who trust in him. And that truth should become more clear as we work our way through the passage together. But I find this interesting. After John captures that response, in verse 5, he slips in some of his own commentary. He tells us there that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And he makes sure to tell us this because in verse 6, he's getting ready to tell us something else that's really hard to process. This is like when somebody in your life needs to say something hard to you, and so they start the conversation with, hey, you know I love you, right? You know you're my boy, right? And then they drop it on you. This is what John's doing. Readers, it's so important that you know Jesus loves this family. Please know that. Please trust that. Because when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in that place we, he was for two additional days. Now, can we just all agree? On a surface level, that doesn't seem loving at all, does it? Hey, Jesus, your friend is sick. Great, I'll be there in a few days. No, I don't think you understand. He's like dying sick. Okay, I'll be there in a few days. But Jesus, you could stop this. You could heal him. I know I'll be there in a few days. Now listen, I'm curious. Have you ever experienced a delay like that on God's part in your life? Life gets hard. It's beating you up. Circumstances are beyond your control. And so you cry out to God, God, I need you, and I need you now. Show up in my life, change this, free me, deliver me. And it's almost like God says back to you, ah, I'll be there in a few days. Listen, if you've ever experienced a delay like that, you know like I know that when God delays, it's really easy to assume that God doesn't care. But I need you to know this morning, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, reality is, sometimes God delays because he cares. That hasn't gotten an amen all weekend long. Just, but look, this is a, uh, an important truth that you need to know and remember and believe. Sometimes God delays because he cares. He cares about accomplishing things in and through your life that he couldn't accomplish otherwise if he showed up sooner and did what you were asking him to do. And so, for example... At times, God delays because he cares a whole lot about your spiritual maturity. We'll see this in the text in a few moments when we talk about Mary and Martha. But because Jesus delayed in their situation, their faith in him and trust in him matured in ways that it wouldn't have matured if he would have shown up sooner and just healed their brother. 
And I'm telling you, at times, the same is going to be true in your life. At times, God will make you wait in an attempt to mature you. And I'll try to illustrate this so that it makes sense, okay? I have a six-year-old daughter at home. Her name is Rowan. She's awesome. I love her so much. She is stubborn and very strong-willed. And she's got this bad habit of interrupting you when you're talking to another adult. So my wife and I, in an attempt to break her of that, lately we've been saying, anytime she attempts to interrupt, very lovingly but very firmly, you got to wait. No, 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 not right now. You just got to hold your tongue. We're talking. You wait your turn. And it frustrates her to no end, man. I mean, in her little six-year-old brain, she can't even process that. What, what do you mean? Wait? How do I wait? I don't even know what that means. And, and why would I make my daughter suffer in that way? Because I'm trying to grow her up. But I'm making my daughter wait because I'm trying to mature her into a respectful, responsible human being. And I'm telling you, sometimes God will do the same for you so that he can grow you spiritually. But look, God not only delays because he cares about your spiritual maturity, at times he'll also delay because he cares about the certainty of other people. You see, this is so interesting. When you keep reading our story, you find Jesus telling his disciples, guys, we need to go to Bethany. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I need to go wake him up. Now, the disciples are both frightened and confused by that statement. They're frightened because they know there are people in that region who want to kill Jesus, and if we travel there, we could all lose our lives. They're confused because they're thinking, if he's sleeping, why do we need to go all the way to Bethany just to wake the brother up, right? I mean, if he's sick, let him sleep. He'll recover. He'll be fine. And so Jesus knows they have missed the point entirely. And so he says to them very plainly, no, fellas, look, he's dead, okay? He's not with us any longer. And then in verse 15, he goes on to make a very shocking statement. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? Like some of y'all don't know that's the Jesus of the Bible, right? Jesus, what do you mean you're, you're glad you weren't there when your friend died? Why were you glad you weren't there? Well, he tells his guys, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe. Listen, these words from Jesus serve as a great reminder. And if you're taking notes, this is something you're going to want to write down. They serve as a great reminder that what happens to you isn't always about you. Let me just say that again. That deserves a better amen. Look, what happens to you isn't always about you, right? See, what happened to Lazarus wasn't about Lazarus. John doesn't say that Jesus let Lazarus die so that Lazarus might believe. No, he let his friend die so that his disciples might believe. Jesus was trying to do something through the death of his friend to increase the faith of other people. And can I tell you, at times, that's God's plan for you. At times, God will let certain things happen to you, and then he'll sit back and let those things play out. And it's not because he's trying to do something for you. It's because he's trying to do something through you for the sake of other people who are watching you go through whatever it is you're facing. And my friends, this is why it matters so much that we as followers of Jesus walk through seasons of suffering and hardship well. When life gets hard, we keep trusting in the Lord. And we keep believing in him. And we keep trusting in his promises. Why? Because it's not just your fate that is at stake. It's also the fate of other people. After Jesus delays for those purposes, John tells us that he finally decides to go pay Martha and Mary a visit. And it's interesting, by the time he gets to Bethany, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. That time frame is very significant. 
Because in this Jewish culture, it was believed that when a person died, their soul hovered around their bodies for three days. And then on the fourth day, the soul gave up and it left. And so when you were dead for four days, you weren't just a little dead, you were like really dead. And, and so Jesus decides, I'm gonna wait till he's really dead before I travel in. And, and I want you to see what happens next in verse 20. John says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so here's Jesus traveling into town, and Martha runs out to meet him. And the first thing that she does is she makes this incredible statement of faith. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But you have to know, that's not Martha complaining against Jesus. That's not Martha pointing her finger in the chest of the Son of God like some people tend to do. Why weren't you here? Why didn't you show up on time? This is Martha simply recognizing in faith, Jesus, if you would have gotten here earlier, things would be different right now. But even so, Jesus, I believe that whatever you ask from God, he'll give it to you. Possibly implying, Jesus, if you ask him to raise my brother from the dead, I believe he'll do it. And then Jesus responds, and, and he says something interesting to Martha. He says, look, your brother will rise again. Now, that's a significant statement. And Jesus is doing something here that we cannot miss. He's calling Martha's attention to a future reality. You see, the common Jewish belief of this time, which was based on Old Testament passages like Daniel 12, Isaiah 65, and 66, was this. That one day in the future, God would create a new heaven and a new earth. A place where sin and all of its consequences would be no more. He would raise his people up to new life, give them brand new physical bodies, and they would live in those bodies in that place for the rest of eternity. Well, listen, as Christians, we still believe in that future resurrection. The only difference is we believe that future resurrection is only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, he came here to this world to live the life that none of us can live, a life of sinless perfection. And at the end of his life, went to a cross, died in our place for our sins to reconcile us back to God. And so Jesus Christ, in other words, took every bit of punishment we deserved as sinful people so that we could be forgiven, loved, accepted by God fully and forever. But praise God, he didn't stay dead, amen? Right, the, the grave could not hold our Savior. Three days after the cross, Jesus conquered his grave so that one day you and I could be resurrected from ours. You see, the Bible teaches that in essence, Jesus is the first fruit of God's new creation. Right, God right now is working behind the scenes to restore and redeem everything that he's made, everything that's been tainted and marred by sin. And Jesus just went first. Because he's alive, because he resurrected from the grave, now the rest of creation, including sinful people like you and me, we're just simply invited to follow suit. And so that's where Jesus starts, with that future reality. Now what he does next is this. He invites Martha and he invites us to imagine that future resurrection 
in present time. I love it. He says, Martha, don't forget, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he'll rise again in the future on that last day in the resurrection. And I envision Jesus just smiling very lovingly back at Martha in this moment. And he says, Martha, sweetheart, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Martha, resurrection is more than a doctrine. It's more than a theological concept. It's more than a future event. Resurrection is a person, and that person is standing in front of you right now. So what's his point? Well, his point is this, and if you're taking notes, write it down. This is the big point of today, and this is the beautiful news of Easter. Jesus is teaching that resurrection life is available now for those who believe. The resurrection life is available now for those who believe. Now, if this is confusing to you, don't worry. Uh, Jesus goes on to explain himself. He says a couple of significant things to Martha. And again, he starts in the future, and then he brings the future back into the present. The first thing he says is this. Martha, whoever believes in me will come to life spiritually, even though he dies physically. So he's reminding us here, hey, every single one of us, we're going to die one day. You do realize that, right? That there is coming a day when you as an individual will close your eyes in death and your physical life on this earth will be no more. Last time I checked, the death rate was still at 100%. One out of every one person dies. And so we're all in the same boat when it comes to this thing. Jesus is saying, all people will die, but all people who believe in me will be raised to new spiritual life after physical death. And so the great news for those of us who believe in Jesus is this. Death is not the end of life. Death is simply a glorious transition into a life far greater than you and I could ever imagine. And so again, Jesus starts future, and then he says to Martha, not only is that true, but whoever lives believing in me, present time, well, that person never really dies at all. You see, Jesus is reminding us here that resurrection life or new spiritual life, it doesn't begin the moment you die, it begins the moment you believe. And because that life begins the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, you never really die at all because that resurrection life you've been enjoying this side of eternity simply continues on after physical death. And I'll try to put this in perspective for you, all right? Uh, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 14 years old. I'll never forget it. I was with my dad by my bed one night. I was a kid who grew up in church, but it took me 14 years to realize, wow, I'm a jacked up person, right? I'm broken, and I'm sinful, and I need the grace and forgiveness of God in my life. Like, I can't change me. And so, again, by my bed one night, I, I prayed with my dad and just cried out to the Lord, Jesus, save me, forgive me, change me, give me eternal life with you. And here's what happened. In that moment, Jesus raised me up to brand new spiritual life. Ever since that moment, life hasn't been perfect, but it's been a whole lot different. Like I can tell you, I've made a lot of progress since 14 years old. And just in case no one's ever told you this, I want to make sure you know this. On this side of eternity, that's what the Christian life is about. It's about progress. It's not about perfection. If perfection's your goal, you're gonna be frustrated, all right? You'll never be perfect until that day you see Jesus Christ face to face. It's about progress. The Christian life is about you being able to look back like a year from now and say, wow, look how far I've come. 
Look at what God has done in my life. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm sure not where I used to be. Look at that spiritual progress. Again, I've made a lot of progress since 14. Um, I can also say since that moment, my life hasn't always been easy. Like you, I have walked through seasons of loss, pain, suffering, and hardship. But in every single one of those seasons, God in his grace has given me supernatural peace, supernatural joy, and he's given me every ounce of strength I've ever needed to endure and overcome. And so look, for 22 years, I've been experiencing resurrection life. And what I know is this, even though James Griffin is going to die physically one day, James Griffin, the person, never really dies because the resurrection life Jesus has given me, it just continues on after death. And in fact, it gets even better after I die physically. And if you know Jesus Christ, the same is true for you. Look, I need you to understand today that Christianity is about so much more than you praying a prayer to stay out of hell and then you struggling your way through life until you die one day. Christianity is about you putting your faith in a risen Savior and walking in the newness of life made possible by his resurrection, amen? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you hear all that and you go, wow, that's amazing, James. Well, how does that apply to my life today? What does that look like on the ground level? Well, here's what this truth means for you, and please don't miss this. It means that if something in your life needs a resurrection, Jesus can resurrect it right here right now. That's what it means. That if something in your life needs a resurrection, Jesus can resurrect it right here, right now. So let me ask the question, what in your life needs a resurrection today? Maybe for you it's something very immaterial. It's your hope. It's your joy. It's your peace. It's your sense of purpose. It's your confidence in knowing where you're going to spend eternity one day after you die. Or maybe for some of you, it's something more practical or material. Uh, it's your marriage. You know, this thing is about as dead as dead things get. If there's a God out there, it's the sink is sure you some help, some new life, right? Uh, maybe for you, it's some type of addictive behavior. It's a physical issue. Uh, maybe for you, it's guilt or shame you've been experiencing over something you've been hiding that no one else in your life knows about. I don't know what it is for you know what it is, but regardless of what it is, here's the truth. Jesus can and Jesus wants to resurrect what seems most dead and hopeless to you. And what happens in the story next proves it. Martha, after uh, she hears Jesus make this incredible claim about himself, remember she's asked, Martha, do you believe this? And she answers Jesus with a yes and amen, I absolutely believe it. And she runs and she gets her sister Mary and Mary comes back to where Jesus is waiting She's followed by the crowd of people that were in their home consoling them after their brother died. And here's what happens next in verse 32. John says, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And here's the shortest verse in the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. And so Mary, this woman who loved Jesus deeply, she comes and she falls at his feet. This Mary, by the way, who's mentioned, uh, she's mentioned three times by name in the Gospels. Guess where she is every time she's mentioned? At the feet of Jesus. And so from this humble place, like her sister, she makes this incredible statement of faith. Jesus, if you would have been here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. 
And then John describes the scene for us, which wasn't tame. It wasn't controlled. Uh, Mary's weeping. The crowd of Jews with her are weeping. And that doesn't mean they were weepy. That word weeping in the Greek means loud, unrestrained crying. This was a chaotic scene. And as Jesus takes it all in, John says that he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled, visibly distressed. Jesus is angry and frustrated at what's taking place in front of him. And, and as he begins to walk himself to the tomb of Lazarus, he, the Son of God, begins to weep. Now, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time here because I don't even feel like I need to. But I at least wanted to touch on these verses to show you and to say to you, and please do not miss this. Jesus cares about what you're going through. Like whatever you're facing today that has you feeling stuck, anxious, in bondage, hopeless, helpless, it matters to him. It grieves the very heart of God to see people that he loves, people that he created, being impacted by the power and presence of sin in our world. And so I want you to know today, when you go to Jesus and you ask him to intervene in your life, you're not asking him to do something he doesn't want to do, right? Even if he delays, you're asking him to do something he desires to do, something he died and rose from the dead to accomplish on your behalf. And I really pray that knowing that gives some of you the confidence you need to keep calling on Jesus for whatever it is you need today. Now, with that said, I want to take you back to the text one last time because you need to see how this story ends. In verse 38, these two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, they start taking Jesus to the tomb of their dead brother. And his tomb was basically a cave with a stone laid against it. And so when they get there, Jesus says, I want you to remove the stone. And Martha is reluctant, right? She reminds Jesus, hey, our brother has been dead for four days now. There's going to be an odor. Or I love how the King James Version translates it. Jesus, he stinketh. Don't you love that? I love it. And Jesus says, I don't care that he stinketh. I want you to take the stone away. And, and he says to Martha, didn't I tell you that if you just believed, you would see the very glory of God. And so they start taking the stone away. And as they do, Jesus begins to pray and and he's thanking God for having already heard his prayers before this moment. And here's what happens in verse 43. When Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So I want you to picture this, all right? Visualize it as best you can. There's Jesus standing outside this open cave. There's possibly an odor permeating the air. We don't know. But Jesus shouts out with a loud voice, which by the way, is the same shout we're going to hear one day when Jesus Christ calls us forth from our graves. How awesome is that? All right, so he shouts out with this loud voice, Lazarus, hey buddy, why don't you come on out of your grave? And at the very power of Jesus' word, this dead man comes to life. I love what the great theologian Augustine once said about the power of Jesus' word in this moment. Look at this. He said, if Jesus had not said Lazarus' name, all would have come out from their graves. Don't you love that? That's how powerful the word of Jesus is. When he speaks, things move. When Jesus speaks, things come to life. 
He speaks to this guy who's been dead for four days, and the next thing the crowd sees is this man waltzing out of the, the, the grave. But there's a problem. He's still wearing his grave clothes. Like this brother looked like a mummy coming out of the grave, and Jesus goes, oh my gosh, this is a problem. Like he can't live his life like that. And, and so he says to the crowd, who I assume was very amazed and terrified in this moment, I want you to unbind him and let him go. Now, as I considered that scene this past week, I imagine that there would probably be people walking into this room all weekend long who needed a similar scene to play out in their lives. And here's what I mean. I truly believe this. I truly believe that there are some of you right now sitting in front of me who more than anything in life, you need Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, to call you out of death and into life. And I don't have to convince you of who you are. Like, you know who you are. You're that person who walked in the room today with no peace, with no joy. You are desperate for your life to be different, but you're so frustrated because nothing that you're trying is changing anything. So you feel helpless. You feel hopeless in many ways. When you think about eternity, it scares you to death because you don't know what's going to happen to you after you die one day. And what you need more than anything is for Jesus Christ to call you by name out of your spiritual grave. You need to put your faith in him as the resurrected Savior and receive that free gift of resurrection life. But look, I also believe that there are people in the room today who need Jesus to unbind them from certain things that are holding them in bondage. And here's what I mean by that. Some of you, you're like Lazarus. You're alive but it's almost like you're still wearing your grave clothes. You know Jesus, but in some ways, you're still living like a dead person. There is sin in your life, please hear me, that Jesus has set you free from, that has absolutely no authority or power over you any longer, but it is clinging closely to you, and it is sucking the joy and life out of you. And what you need is the resurrected Jesus to show up in your life in power and to set you free. And I'm telling you, regardless of who you are, if you're that person who needs freedom, or if you're that person who showed up today and you've never cried out to Jesus and asked him for that resurrection life, Jesus wants to work in your life today. And so right now in this moment, I want to invite you to respond to his call. So right now in this moment, can we just bow our heads and close our eyes all across the room? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. As we're settling into this moment, I just want to encourage you right now to, as best you can, shove off distractions. I don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't worry about the people you came with. They'll be there when you leave. I don't want you to focus in right now on what God wants to do in your life. If you're that person who showed up today and you're helpless and you're hopeless and you have no peace and you need life to change and you need the hope of eternity spent with God and there's never been that moment in your life where you've cried out to Jesus and asked Him to be your Savior, to give you that resurrection life He freely offers, I want to help you do that right now. So wherever you're sitting, why don't you just begin to pray quietly in your heart. Just say something like this to him. Say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Jesus, I need that resurrection life that only you offer. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. 
so that I could be loved and accepted by God. But Jesus, I also believe you rose from the dead. And you conquered sin, death, and hell for me so that I could experience new and eternal life with you. And so Jesus, right now, would you forgive me of all my sins? Would you take hold of my life? And would you change me into that person you created me to be? And Jesus, give me the hope of an eternity spent with you. I say yes to you as my Lord and Savior. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed all across this room, if you just prayed that with me, I want to ask you to do me a favor, and this will require a little bit of courage on your part, not a ton, just a little. But I want to ask you if you prayed that with me, if you would right now in this moment acknowledge the fact that you made that decision by just lifting a hand. Wherever you are, James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus today. Thank you. I see your hands already going up. Would you just keep them up for just a moment? Our prayer team's going to come, and they're going to put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive that resource, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, James, that's me. Just put them up real high. Thank you so much. We see you. They're coming. Just be patient with them. Anybody else, James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus Christ today. thank you first and foremost for your great love for us a love that sent your son so that we could become loved sons and daughters in your family God we thank you that right now your son Jesus is alive and he is seated on the throne of heaven working on our behalf and I pray that that would give us great confidence and courage to live each day as the people you've created us and saved us to be God, I thank you for the men and women sitting in front of me right now who just put their faith in you. And I pray that even in this moment, they would begin to sense your presence in a very life-changing and life-giving way. In a way that lets them know you're for them, that you're with them, that you love them, that nothing can ever separate them from you from this point forward. God, I just thank you for the faith that they've put in your son Jesus today. God, for the rest of people in this room, those who need freedom from certain things, that, that have them bound by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you unbind them? God, usher freedom into their lives. We know that you can, and we're asking that you would, and we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen.